Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. This is animator Ron Husband, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome yet again to Skull Rock Podcast, your show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in the multiverse of entertainment. I'm Al Jongo, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist. And you can email me, aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossert, artist, filmmaker, author, and I'm battening down the hatches for Hurricane Hillary. Oh, no. Welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, we've got a great show today. We've got uh, animator and incredible artist Dave Spafford, and this is part one. And I have to say, it's going to be unprecedented, Al John, here at the Skull Rock Podcast, because I think we're going to wind up having four or five parts uh, of an interview with Dave Spafford. That's and amazing. It, it's amazing. He's a great storyteller. Certainly, I mean, the guy just uh, this is this is great when you can get someone you just wind up and just let go and talk all kinds of great stories and and uh, I, i'm all about it so yeah no i'm i'm excited um and uh you know we've got we we've got guests booked out now until mid october early november there's there's just so much going on it's crazy holy cow man uh yeah it is but it's also exciting because you get we're we're still getting those killer stories and behind the scenes looks that people just love and expect out of this podcast, quite frankly. And uh, it's great that we're just keeping it going, man. You know? Yeah. And, you know, speaking of uh, what people are expecting, uh, I've gotten uh, a really uh, great uh, email. Okay. And uh, so if we want to talk about that, let's, let's talk about let's, that. Let's do it. And let's play the sound effect. <laughs> All right, Dave. Well, I got to tell you, I got an email from uh, Scott, one of our listeners, longtime listener. And and he just said, first off, I wanted to say how the show seems to keep getting better and better. I have really enjoyed the longer multi-part interviews you've done over the last year with Don Hahn, Willie Ito, Ron Husband, Andreas Deja, and others, because you are less constrained with time 
you have been really able to get into the weeds of the their illustrious careers. Awesome. And, you know, I, I appreciate it, Scott. And I know, Al John, you, you know, you and I really want to spend time with our guests, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, once they once they start opening the door, you want to go ahead and go through. You know, they yeah. they set it up. They want to tell a story or they leave little breadcrumbs behind. And and that's that's part of the great interview process is discovering those little moments where they kind of open the door for for us to just come on in and discover some new stories or uncover some new stories and facts and stuff. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's what good journalism does, Dave. There you go. And, you know, Scott, Scott went on to say the interview with Don Hahn and Max Howard this this past week was another great show. And I learned even more about a film that he said is one of his all time favorites. I, I think, yeah. uh, and he said, I'd also love a definitive book about the making of the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Wow. I presume there's been uh, or there hasn't been one. Uh, because of rights issues with the characters. Well, actually, uh, my friend Ross Anderson, uh, and we've mentioned his book on here before, he's written a really comprehensive book where he's talked to so many uh, different uh, artists who worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's uh, The title of it is uh, Pulling a Rabbit Out of the Hat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so Scott, if you're interested, look that up on, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and, uh, you can, uh, at least find, uh, a text, uh, because that book, it, it, there's really no pictures in it, but it's all text. Uh, and it's behind the scenes of the making of who framed Roger Rabbit. You know, that's uh, one of those things uh, where it's, it's great that at least it's documented and, and of course there are no pictures or behind the scenes, you know, kind of, uh, photos of, of the production, but at least we have it documented. Yeah, exactly. And, and so he, he goes on to say, keep up the good work. I'll keep listening every week. Well, we appreciate that, Scott. And then he says, PS, I enjoy hearing about your movie picks every week. <laughs> so he said, I was going to wait until streaming to see the flash since the reviews have been mixed, but after hearing how much you liked it, I did see it in the theaters and thought it was great. Probably my favorite movie of the summer. Thanks for that. Wow. How's that? You I know? love that. And, and by the way, I, I run into so many people who really like that segment on what we're watching. I do too. And, yeah. And, and then he wraps it up with a PPS. I am also a huge Muppets fan and thought Muppet Mayhem was excellent too. Great use of the characters and a nice change. Well, we couldn't agree with you more, Scott. We we're big fans of Muppet Mayhem and we had Bruce Lenoyle, one of the Muppeteers on uh, a few weeks back. Uh, so um, really uh, appreciate your lengthy email uh, and uh, keep on listening. And thanks it. for thanks for the suggestions and uh, and for taking the time to send us a note. That's awesome, and I'm I'm glad people are really digging the uh, the extended interviews and the behind the or at least the banter between you and I because uh, it's fun to kind of go back and forth over something more current uh, and what's streaming and what's in theaters. That's one of our favorite points of the show, I think. And, and you know what? I, I mean, we're 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 nonconformists. <laughs> you know, 
we're 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 not going to do an hour show and try and cram somebody's entire you know 30 40 50 year career into you know 25 minute segments we're not going to do that you know we're going to spend our time we're going to talk to our guests and you know if we have a two-hour show you know I, I i think our listeners are enjoying that and if they break it up uh into you know two one-hour segments and listen to it at two different times that that's their choice yeah. but you know what i i don't think we should cut uh you know cut our guests short we, we really need to spend time with them yeah i mean early on i think it was like what what is the perfect length for a podcast? And most people would say, you know, probably under an hour, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, you, you want to get everything you can out of it in, in a single interview or multiple interviews. And you also want to talk about what you feel like you need to talk about during the week. And, uh, luckily everyone else is, is here for the ride and enjoying themselves. So that's the important thing. If, if things weren't, then we would change it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. exactly. And, and, and we're getting some, some great feedback. So, you know, to our listeners out there, keep sending us those notes. You can reach us through social media uh, or you can send us an email Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, let us know what you're thinking. Absolutely. Well, I, I know we didn't spend too much uh, at the beginning, but uh, I think we should just go into the picks of the week, shall we? Yes. Okay, let's do it. And uh, before we get started into the picks of the week, I'm just going to get this out of the way. Happy birthday, Dave. Thank you very much, Al John. I, I do appreciate that. I had a uh, a wonderful birthday this past week, and, and, and I was fortunate because both my daughters came into town. Oh. Uh, and I, uh, I have to say, uh, you know, I, I really, that was the best present of, uh, of all was that they were here to visit were they was it a complete surprise to you no no it wasn't a complete surprise oh, okay. it was just that they you know my my older daughter who lives in france happened to come into town because uh, she needed to take care of some business okay and because she was in town my younger daughter marley who lives in northern california she decided to fly down and visit with her sister and see us so uh we had everybody here and we had a lovely birthday that's awesome I love it whenever the family can get together. That's great. Yeah. Especially it's all about family. Yeah. All absolutely. about family. Well, right, speaking so about Al John, yes. I got to tell you, I saw The Monkey King Whoa. on Netflix. Okay. Tell me all so, about it. <laughs> so, so The Monkey King is a 2023 computer animated fantasy action comedy film inspired by the classic Ming Dynasty novel. Journey to the West. Okay. It's directed by Anthony Stachi, and the film stars Jimmy O. Yang voicing over the role of the titular trickster who battles the Dragon King. So, you know, comedian Jimmy O. Yang. Oh, I do know Jimmy Yang. Yes. Yeah. He voices the Monkey King, does a terrific job. Awesome. Um, I'm going to tell you uh, that I watched this movie. Uh, and overall, I liked it. Oh, okay. Overall, I enjoyed this film. Uh, but I will tell you something that bugged me a little bit. Okay. And that is, as I watch animated films that are being released, more and more, I'm feeling like there, um, there are elements that are derivative from other things. You know? From other films. 
And and this, again, is the case with the Monkey King. Is it anything uh, like the Lion King, Dave? No, it's not <laughs> okay. like the Lion King. <laughs> okay. But there, there's a song in there that, you know, was reminiscent of Aladdin. You know, oh. it, it felt like it could have been out of Aladdin, you gotcha. know, and there was uh, a sequence, a climax sequence where the uh, dragon becomes huge, like Ursula does at the end of Little Mermaid. Right. You know, and there were a couple of sidekick characters that kind of my my daughter, my older daughter, Sydney, said, gee, don't th- those remind me of something out of Hercules. Yeah. You know, so. You start to hear these kinds of comments as you're watching, and you're starting to think these kinds of comments. But overall, I thought it was a good film. I think if you're interested in animation, you like animation, you should watch The Monkey King on Netflix. Um, there, there's a very beautiful 2D sequence in the midst of it. That was the other thing I liked. But now I'm also starting to think that because of the Spider-Verse movies, you know, where they mix different techniques together. I'm starting to see a lot of other filmmakers do that as well. You know, it's it's sort of the old saying, like, you know, when the Godfather was a huge hit, some executive quipped that, you know, uh, you know, every, everybody who's making a movie is going to have a, you know, a horse's head in the bed, you know, (laughs) Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, that to me, you know, there, there's a bit of that going on in, in the in the uh, filmmaking process is like, oh, you know, look at what Spider-Verse did. Let's try and do some of that. I think if it's if it's used uh, for a reason and I think it was in, in Monkey King, it worked out. It worked really well, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, anyway, I, I'd give it probably, a, a, you know, a seven out of a ten. Oh, that's good. Uh, and, and I think it's worth seeing. Uh, I think your kids might enjoy it. I, I think, you know, Jimmy Yang does a fabulous job uh, voicing uh, the Monkey King. I will definitely bookmark that. It's already on the yeah. list. Just like Ninja Turtles. I haven't seen Ninja Turtles yet, but want to want to see what the yeah kids i'm i'm gonna try and go see that but i i will tell you that um uh next week i will be talking about the blue beetle oh good that's great yeah uh, i'm gonna be seeing DC that film. in imax so yeah this is uh, i and just i didn't watch a lot this week i just had too much going on but um i did watch a show called of course on acorn tv uh it was sort of a comedic uh cop drama you know sort of a, a dramedy Yes. Um, and I thought that was enjoyable. Uh, and then I found a show called Deadlock and it's D E A D L O C H. Uh, and that is on Amazon prime. And, uh, it, it's really a, uh, a fun dark comedy. And I, I love dark comedies. Uh, Here's the uh, synopsis. The town of Deadlock, Tasmania is preparing for its winter festival when a local man turns up dead. Two detectives and an eager junior constable are set to investigate the crime. Um, There's one season. uh, It stars Kate Box uh, as uh, Dulcie Collins, uh, Madeline uh, Sammy. Uh, as Eddie Radcliffe, uh, and it, it's absolutely hysterical. Um, it is a dark comedy. 
and there is a tremendous amount of foul language. Oh. Uh, and uh, it, it's really a funny, funny show. Uh, if you're interested, check that out. That's all I've been watching this past week. <laughs> Al John, what have you been watching? A lot. Uh, this is, you know, in, in this is the week, I guess, that uh, my wife and I started catching up on things. But we, uh, we definitely did a lot of Netflixing and chilling this week. Uh, Intrusion is a film on Netflix, and it is about a woman who moves into a small town with her husband, but is rattled when she is targeted for a home invasion. And so big city folks, they have some marital issues. They go and get away into this, uh, what appears to be like this desert town, small town. And he is a architect, builds this huge high tech kind of home without a security system because they think it's pretty safe out there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, a stranger strangers pop into their house and uh, chaos ensues after that. So it's kind of a, a thriller uh, with a twist, a pretty big twist uh, toward the last act, something that was slowly being telegraphed throughout the entire film. I gave it a six out of 10. Uh, and there is that kind of thriller esque vibe to it. Um, I think the lead, uh, Frida Pinto, who plays the wife, uh, is pretty much what carries the film. She's great in it. Uh, so, you know, definitely if you, you like those kind of thriller, kind of uh, alone in the dark, kind of Hitchcock in kind of situations and might want to check that out. Uh, what is trending on Netflix this week is a Depp versus Heard uh series oh my gosh we haven't had enough of that have oh we? no no you remember a year a year ago uh, <laughs> i told everybody that i was entrenched my wife and i had been following the trial every day it's uh it kind of became the pandemic thing for us to do is just sit back and watch this trial unfold and this film is a very short uh, three episode you know 45 minutes per episode kind of uh documentary uh that goes in and gives you the in-depth and puts everything together. And they do a side-by-side, you know, um, Amber Heard went first, Johnny Depp went second in terms of their, uh, their court proceedings. And they had basically stitched them together so that they were going, you know, tit for tat, every single back and forth. And it's interesting to see them kind of stitched together in that way is one says one thing and one is disputing the other, et cetera. Um, and then what happens in the fallout as well. So because Chris and I followed it, we, we were just like, well, we're going to get it. And they captured some memeable moments during the trial. Of course, uh, abuse is nothing to to laugh about. But the response of the people is very interesting uh, as they kind of weaved in the thread of how social media was able to roll up into this whole situation and the lawyers and everything. So fascinating look at the trial uh, and what happened in its aftermath. So if you're interested in that thing, cool. What's your takeaway on it? Having watched it, uh, I mean, do you, do you lean to one side or the other? Do you, where's the truth? I, I am a, I'm a big supporter of just being human and being a good human being. And these people are flawed. And we know that to be, you know, as human beings, they're flawed with a lot of money. They're flawed with a lot of money. They're flawed with, and and that's part of it. You know, I think, you know, there's, it's important to, to tell the truth (laughs) 
and and own up to it. And I think there has been some truth that has not been. Um, it just hasn't been like if you if you say that you're going to pledge money to a charity, and then you don't follow through with it, I think that's wrong. Who did that? Amber Heard. Really? Yeah. She she said that she had donated on a TV show that she donated millions of dollars to the ACLU and to the Children's Hospital. And after the divorce settlement, Johnny gave the money over, of course, as the court dictated uh, for the divorce. And she only gave a, a, a like a eighth of a fraction of what she she uh, she said that she donated yeah. and not pledged. She said uh, under oath that she pledged it. But even yeah, that you know, that that speaks volumes about a person's character. It does. It it really does because when pressed, she said that she said she uses the word pledged and donated interchangeably. I'm like they they don't mean the same thing, and you know it. No, they don't. You yeah. know, and so you know the credibility started to fall there. But once again, I it's not for me to take sides. Uh, you know, on this platform, but I can just simply say that if. You know, I know people and women and, and, and men have been in abusive relationships. It's important that no matter what gender uh, you are, that that it's valid. But you can't throw anyone under the bus, you know, for no yeah. for no reason. Right. Yeah, but but these two, but these that. two are not. You know, these two are, are greatly flawed individuals. But um, it's sad that we had to 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 have it come across in the public platform. But of course, it made for very riveting. Uh, TV for many of us. So well, and that, and that's you know sort of the downside of celebrity is when there are personal issues and divorces and things they become very public, and that's kind of a shame. It is, and it's not. It doesn't help anyone's cause for help to report being abused, no matter who that what the gender is, if there are false accusations being made or if someone is un. Un, not justifiably throwing someone under the bus or defy, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you can't trump up these charges on, on somebody, um, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying that that's the case, but I mean, the, the judge's ruling was clear. Um, anyway, yeah. moving right. on, uh, here's something cool. So painkiller is a new, uh, mini series on Netflix and it's brand new trending. It's starring Matthew Broderick as, uh, Richard Salkin. I think that's, uh, the name of his character. Um, and he was the one that kind of, he, he and his family are one of the oh, big Sackler. Sackler. Sackler, Sackler, Sackler. Yeah. Yeah. The um, Sackler family. Sackler family. Right. Who, who ran a big pharma company that had put out, um, oxycodone into the market yeah, and, um, right. and, uh, and then, uh, Uzo Aduba, I believe I said her name properly is Eddie flowers. Who's kind of uncovering, um, all of that and how this, drug had been marketed and put into um into uh, the pharmacy into the doctor's uh, hands and how it kind of got out of control um fascinating clark gregg is part of this uh taylor kitsch is part of this i mean and it's just sad and it is crazy and money hungry greedy kind of behind the scenes on it and you know it's just exposing one of the most powerful narcotics oxycontin into this billion dollar industry and the fallout and the people that are involved in that and um and, and it continues to fall out it continues to fall out to this day so it's a fascinating yeah. look well acted well written so check out painkiller on netflix it's brand new and uh, it'll break your heart but it is a good drama 
Um, Documentary-wise, History 101 uh, is a really kind of uh, modern-style documentary shot in very much the YouTube style, but it talks about history uh, history moments, historic moments, like the music industry or... Um, uh, you know, different different things that are happening in pop culture with uh, plastics and non-recycling and um, fast food and what's in your food and things of that nature. So if you're into just bite-sized uh, 25-minute, you know, mini documentaries about, about that stuff, it, it's great. So check that out. Um, I definitely check out the one about plastics and the environment and the music industry and uh, awesome. quite interesting. Um, How to Get Rich is also on Netflix. And uh, the trailer is, you know, you take these married couples, you know, one of the, one of the most um, interesting things about married couples is that they, when it talks about finances, they don't, people don't talk about finances. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, issues in marriages because of it. And this guy right here, uh, uh, Ramit Seti, he's a finance expert who uh, has, I guess, been awarded a lot of uh, stuff in, in journalism about uh, finances he comes in like kind of a kind of like a Dr. Phil to try to help these people get back on track. Are they overspending is a spouse kind of hiding money and using it not to pay bills and the different things like that. And it's for me, I, I told Chris, I said, it's fascinating, but I'm totally going to get triggered because these people will annoy me. <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> it, it, it does. And um, how these people let their spending get out of control and how they can stop it. So uh, he's really likable though. So if you like it, cool. Um, I know I'm, I'm running long here. Uh, there's something wrong with the children is on prime. And this is kind of a, this is a Blumhouse film. So it's horror. It's but horror. <laughs> it's horror, but it's, it's horror with, of course, there's a cabin in the woods, two families <laughs> with children go out there and they find this mysterious. Well, in this well, who knows what's in it? It's some kind of demonic possessive thing because they get hold of the children and uh, chaos ensues because. Oh, uh, this is the two families and the two daughters. Yes. That that get possessed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I saw the trailer for this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Blumhouse, so it's not bad, yeah. but it's also not the best. So a uh, five out of five. All right. And that's all I've watched this week, but there's a couple other things I will mention. Um, I'm a huge audible fan because I am uh-huh. a commuter. And I, I did read um, or listen to Audible, the 50-year mission, the complete oral history of Star Trek. And fascinating look. Um, it's very long because it spans the entire, all the series uh, sure. from the last, uh, uh, you know, outside of Picard. And uh, if you're into Star Trek history, behind the scenes of, of what went on, especially during the original series, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and it talks about the how... I didn't realize how catty the actors were backstage. And there really is a lot of cattiness between the production and the writers and Gene Roddenberry, who celebrated a birthday this week. And then also Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, um, DeForest Kelly, and the rest of the cast of the original series. So a lot of insight there. And also, I'm a huge fan of Alanis Morissette, Dave. Um, Alanis is one of my favorite um, singer songwriters and artists of the nineties. And she has kind of a, what they do on audible, which is kind of a, a storytellers kind of unplugged thing yeah. where they tell her, her story and the story of some of the music. Absolutely fascinating. I connected with her in so many levels, such a huge fan and uh, the production's quite good and it's nice stripped down. They 
pick about seven songs for her to play and to tell her story from when she started on You Can't Do That on television, on Canadian TV, all the way to now, and how being a mother has changed her. It's a fascinating look into an amazing artist. So check out Alanis Morissette on Audible. All right. All right. You really watched a lot. Uh, yeah, I watched and listened to a lot. to a lot this week. It's been crazy, but uh, we certainly did that. Uh, what have you been watching? Let us know. Email us, and we'll check it out in a future episode of Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. They were on a precipice of a brand new huge series launching on Disney Plus. We're talking about Disney Disney Plus's Ahsoka. Have you seen the the trailer for this, Dave? Oh yeah, I've seen it. I'm looking forward to seeing this show. That's awesome. So uh, I over- hope they drop a couple of episodes. Yeah, I think they will. Uh, last night or the other night, uh, Star Wars Ahsoka fan events were held under the radar. By the way. Not a whole lot of people knew about this. It happened at Disneyland, Walt Disney World, in Hollywood, New York, and San Francisco. And I think that's awesome, Al John. I really do. I think that they shouldn't publicize those things because you could you could be overwhelmed with too many people. I think you make it one of those things for the hardcore fans and the you know the fans that really can find out about those things. You know, absolutely. So that said, I mean the reviews are coming in. They've been largely positive and i'm excited about it you know uh the character of ahsoka uh, and the rest of the rebels here is basically a spiritual successor to the animated series uh star wars rebels on disney plus and it's all the work of dave filoni and you know he uh he studied under george lucas for several years um working on the clone wars project before uh selling it off to uh disney and so this seems to be a, a definitely one of his uh, best works. Um, people are raving about it. And Disney Plus is happy to announce that they're going to be streaming the series now in a new time, Tuesdays, beginning at 6 p.m. Pacific time, starting August 22nd. So just a few days away with the first two episodes exclusively on Disney Plus, Dave, so you can sink your teeth right in. Thank God. I know, right? I, 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 you got to drop two episodes. <laughs> yes. You I was, gotta hook people. <laughs> you got to hook people. You know, the, the very start is going to be world building and second episode, they're going to sink their teeth right in. And so everyone's going to have an opportunity to see what Ahsoka is all about. And, uh, uh, and they're doing it at a time at a prime slot time, uh, where people can check it out and take advantage of social media together, both East and West coast. We, uh, they weren't able to really do that uh, for whatever reason. They're releasing these Disney Plus shows at like midnight Pacific time. And so people would would tune in and stay up late. And, of course, people on the East Coast or in Central time would stay up super late like me and lose sleep. Uh, uh-huh. that, that was not good because um, I had to figure out what's going on because if I hit social media the next day, it's all spoiled for me, which usually happens. Right. So, all right. So Disney Plus also to launch ad-supported subscription offerings in several countries across Europe and Canada November 1st, Dave. And a new ad-free Disney Plus and Hulu bundle subscription will be available in the U.S. this fall. Dave, we've been talking about this for a while, but uh, it looks like they're going to be doing those bundles with no ads for $19.99 a month featuring Disney Premium and Hulu. And they're going to offer another tier at $7.99 a month as well for, I guess, the ad-supported tier. So. Well, look, I'm I'm all for them giving choice to people, 
if you want the ad supported or you want uh, ad free, you know, you, you, you can have that choice. I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and, and also I think that you're going to see all the services are going to be raising their prices. Disney's raised theirs. They have to, they have to find the equilibrium. You know, uh, for the, because when they launched these services, it was an arms race. They were all throwing money at it. They didn't care about profits. Now they're caring about profits and they have to find that sweet spot where they can continue to make the content uh, and charge a fair price for it. Yeah. And, you know, if you still are being in a consumer, if you find value in the content, then you will pay what you need to pay for it in order to get it. And that's why I continue to to pay for these multi-streaming services as well as my music streaming services, because I find value in it. I love it. Absolutely. Right. Uh, speaking of value, I love the fact that Disney plus is adding yet another great franchise um, and rebooting it. Percy Jackson and the Olympians has got a new trailer and it's going to be coming out December 20th, Dave. And uh, that's awesome. I'm a big fan of the books and big fan of the movie series. And I'm glad that um, Disney Hyperion's bestselling book series by Rick Rodan is debuting in a two episode premiere wednesday december 20th on disney plus followed by weekly episodes i'm a real big fan of this kind of a mythos uh in this and i love the movie franchise i'm looking forward to the series yeah yeah, yeah. all right dave here we go disney files counter lawsuit against DeSantis appointed board as governor says he wants to move on yeah you know i saw this al john i sent it to you i i you know i gotta tell you something you start a fight they should finish it. You know, <laughs> that's how I look at it. You know, uh, well, it was DeSantis, off of Florida Senator sorry, Rick Scott issued a. We're gonna we're gonna stop that. We don't need the audio. Yeah, but you know something. In my mind, uh, uh, it would Disney spoke out against a bill in Florida, and DeSantis went after Disney like there was no tomorrow. And it was all politics. It was he wanted to be vaulted out onto the national stage by going after Disney. Yeah. There were 20, 20 plus other big companies in Florida who also spoke out against the don't say gay bill. And he didn't do anything to them, but he went after Disney because Disney was the big target, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I just feel as though uh it was uncalled for. Uh, he should not have weaponized politics against the company. Uh, I also believe the company shouldn't be involved in politics. Mm-hmm. They should take care of their own. That's right. You know, and, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, DeSantis started the fight. Disney should finish it. Yeah. Well, he wants to back off and, uh, and I say, Hey, look, you, you know, that you bit off more than you can chew for one. Doesn't make anybody. Yeah. It doesn't make anybody a winner. And yes, you know Disney should. This people look at Disney not to be a political entity, folks. I mean, entertainers and entertainment, in my eyes, is not political. You know, right. and it people look to music and entertainment and art to escape their reality and to have fun. That's my point of view. Yeah. And this is too close to home. It's re. It's reality. It's how. Uh, Parents decide what they want the, to their children to to learn and and to be exposed to that and you know whatever, you can choose whatever you want for you know you're uh, you're an adult you're you're a parent you can do you can choose what you want this is America, but 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 I think what you need to understand is the moment you weaponize these type of topics and bring entertainment into the into the sphere, uh, you're not doing anyone any any favors. 
Um, yeah, and, and, and by the way, Al John, I will say that I think what DeSantis did to Disney backfired on him. Hmm. I think it hurt him on a national level. Sure. Uh, and you all you have to do is look at the polls. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he just cannot seem to get traction uh, in his campaign. And uh, and I think that, you know, when this whole thing first blew up, uh, I'm sure that a lot of people felt the same way that you and I felt and that. It, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? Yeah, just stay out of it. You're wasting yeah. everybody's time and you know and you're money. attacking somebody. You're weaponizing politics, and you're attacking some you know a company that basically voiced their opinion. You know there there's a constitutional right to free speech. They voice their opinion. Why are you going to go and attack them yep. for that and try that try and hurt them? Which is what he's done. He's tried to hurt the company financially and now he's saying let's move on i don't think so yeah. i think disney should finish this yeah and you know what um they that's right i mean they have every right to do that if they want to do that just like people have every right to choose with their wallets who they decide to support um yeah. as a result of this and so the people will ultimately speak on this if he has given if, if he's gotten enough rope he can do what he needs to do with it you know i mean that's just the bottom line i mean you made your bed now you gotta lie anybody there you go. You know. All right. Speaking Disney's back in headlines again, of course, sued by film financier TSG over a chilling example of Hollywood accounting. Uh, Disney's tried to use every trick in the book, according to TSG, uh, shorting hundreds of millions of dollars in connection with investments, including Avatar Way of the Water. Um, this is a kind of a shuffling the money kind of situation, Dave. I'm not really sure how this is going to pan out. This is a systemic problem in Hollywood period mm -hmm. in entertainment. Uh, there's all kinds of funny accounting that goes on. And ultimately it's the content creators that get screwed over. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is just another example of Disney hurting their brand. Mm -hmm. um by having these kinds of headlines in the news it, it's really a shame they they are diminishing the disney brand uh when a lawsuit like this gets filed or as we've talked about over the last year uh the writers uh you know book authors are getting shorted on royalties uh there's all kinds of um uh, accounting issues going on here and i and and it really is sad to me because it does nothing to help the disney brand it dulls the shine on mm -hmm. on disney yeah it's a shame you know and regardless of you know whether you were hired or grandfathered in on certain contractual basises or or whatever uh, it's important that these creators get get paid properly and if you do sign something then they need to be paid in a timely manner as well because i've heard that people have been not not getting timely payments uh, no. on their royalties and they shouldn't have to wait on that uh, Disney yeah. is a big company. And, and, by, and by the way, Al John, and I'm sorry I stepped on your, your comment there, but I, I have to tell you that in my mind, uh, you've got a large corporation with an army of lawyers and a lot of these content creators, they can't afford to go to a lawyer. And the, and the company knows that. Yeah. You know, so they're, they're going to they're going to overstep the bounds wherever they possibly can. And nine times out of 10, they're going to get away with it. Yeah. And it's not just Disney, y'all. I mean, we're not just pointing a finger. I mean, this is, a, as you said, it's a problem throughout all of Hollywood. And it's just uh, it's a shame that 
that musicians, songwriters, and content creators, writers are not getting their due. Yeah. Uh, all right. Another another thing that's going on is artificial intelligence, Dave, and its creation of art. It's being said it's not copyrightable, says the judge ruling that, co- that could give Hollywood Studios pause, a federal judge on Friday. Sorry about my kids screaming in the background. Uh, upheld finding from the U.S. Copyright Office that a piece of art created by AI is not open to protection. Um, I, I think this is a hugely important ruling, and it upholds um, what the Copyright Office has said, okay. and that is uh, you can't copyright art that's made by a machine. It has to be made by a human being. Um, they also cite in this article that somebody tried to copyright a piece of art created by a monkey, you know, a chimpanzee. Right. And, and that was not copyrightable, uh, because again, in order to copyright a piece of, uh, intellectual property, something you created, it has to have been created by a human being. Right. And so, you know, I, I think that this is an important ruling and it is one that uh, the studios need to take a look at. I would say let's not use AI then <laughs> because they no, want to. You know, something though, you can copyright a piece of art that's uh, AI assisted. Okay. In other so, words, if you're if you're as a human being are using software programs and you're manipulating those software programs to create a piece of art, you're the person you you the human being you've created that piece of art and your tool instead of a brush or a pen or a pencil is um, is software, software. Yeah. Is, is the digital uh, the 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 digital platform you're working on, yeah. but you're, you're the maestro. You're the, you're orchestrating it. Yeah. 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 I mean, then that's true. I mean, that that's an interesting thing because they used, um, I guess, uh, a design firm or a art firm used AI to create the, the uh, title sequence for secret invasion, uh, recently for Marvel studios on Disney plus. So, um, yeah, but know, there's still but some the humanity question- involved in there. It's not just strictly, you know, yeah, but but there's a human being using the software to create the title cards. Correct. The title art. Correct. Correct. All right. Um, interesting stuff there, for sure. Sound of Freedom. Filmmakers say no single interest group owns the issue of trafficking. Uh, director Alejandro Monteverde and co-writer Rod Barr said they wanted their film, which was associated with QAnon and had become highly polarized, even as it's grossed $172.8 million dollars. Um, shining a light on this uh, matter. It's not a conservative or liberal liberal issue. Uh, and I talked about that because I, I saw it in the theater uh, with the wife and um, it's, it's not political. It's just shining a light on, you know, this topic of horrible human trafficking uh, of these children. Dave. Yeah, you know, I w- when I uh, read this uh, guest column in the Hollywood Reporter, um, I I thought that the filmmakers made their case very succinctly. Um, this was uh, a topic uh, that they were passionate about uh, showing. Uh, it's a dramatization, uh, so it's a movie. It was made uh, as a movie to entertain and to make people think about this particular uh, topic. 
and uh, it's owned by everybody. It's not something that belongs to one political leaning group or another. Uh, And I thought that this was interesting after last week when you you had mentioned you had seen the film. Um, I have not seen it yet, but I plan on seeing it. And um, I was I was happy to read this particular article or this guest column uh, and and hear what the filmmakers uh, thoughts were on making it. Yeah, it's a shame because, you know, I I brought this up to some some people um, in entertainment the other day. And they kind of looked at me like, you support this QAnon stuff? And I was like, no, it's not that at all. It's I'm against, you know, human trafficking. And right. I had to find out yeah. what this is about because it's it affects us. It affects me as a parent. It could certainly happen as, you know, someone as a as a father and as somebody that has young children of this of people snatching children up in the middle of the night or in in public places and then putting them through this this system where they totally get exploited and abused. And it doesn't have a political side. It's a human story that needs to be put out there for people to take action, plain and simple. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Cooper is one of our favorites, right? And uh, Carrie Mulligan star in this trailer for Netflix's Ber- uh, Leonard Bernstein drama Maestro. Uh, this should be very interesting. Cooper directs a film about the famed West Side Story composer's lifelong relationship with Felicia Montalgre. Did I say that right? Um, Con Bernstein. So uh, this is a kind of a classic story and Bradley Cooper has got his hands full on this one. Yeah. And and you know something, this is a Bradley Cooper film. He directs this uh, and you have to watch the trailer, Al John. Okay. Watch the trailer on this because, you know, Bradley Cooper transforms himself into Leonard Bernstein, especially when Leonard Bernstein's in his seventies. When you see the older version of Bradley Cooper made up as Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. it's mind boggling to me because he looks so much like Leonard Bernstein. And obviously it's the makeup and the prosthetics that they've used on his face that are making him look like Leonard Bernstein, which leads into our next story. Yes. It says uh, Bradley Cooper defended the Leonard Bernstein, Bernstein family over Maestro's prosthetic nose. And let's be honest. He looks like him with that prosthetic nose. I yeah. I, I and, literally and, looking at old old uh, footage of him versus Bradley Cooper, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? I mean, he's portraying someone, and it shouldn't be labeled as someone kind of appropriating cultural features, you know, from somebody. It's just kind of you wanted to get that authenticity of someone looking like the person they're portraying, right? I have a black and white photograph of Leonard Bernstein conducting taken by Alfred Stieglitz. Wow. The, the, the great photographer, right? This is a beautiful silver gelatin, black and white print. And I went over and I looked at that photograph after I watched the trailer and I went back and I watched the trailer again. And I was like, wow, Bradley Cooper, you are the man. Yes. You, you know, and I, think that whoever is coming out and and saying that, you know, uh, he shouldn't have used this prosthetic nose and this and that baloney. I fully support uh, uh, Bradley Cooper 
uh, in his artistic choices. He transformed himself. This is no different than, you know, um, Lon Chaney uh, or Johnny Depp or anybody who has transformed themselves with makeup into a character or into a person, a historical figure. And that's exactly what Bradley Cooper has done. I, I think we're in a place where people are just hypersensitive for anything. They're looking for something to nail people on. And we got to stop this. Look at the trailer. Look at the performance that he's doing. And you are going to be blown away. Bradley Cooper transforms himself into Leonard Bernstein, period. And that's how you have to look at this. 100%, Dave. Well said. Moving on. I mean. Jerry Moss at AM Records in passing this week. Oh my gosh, we have legends passing this week. Uh Jerry Moss from AM, co-founder of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member, dies at 88. And I think a lot of people know him because, you know, of his work with uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and and talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But he co-founded AM Records with Herb Alpert, and that's why that trumpet is part of the logo of AM Records. And he released so many records under that label. It was one of my favorite labels growing up. The Carpenters, The Police, um, or just among the greats. Um, so there you have it, man. Another legend passes this week. Yeah, I mean, what a life, you know. And the fact that he partnered with Herb Albert. And Herb Albert is the more uh, well-known of the two. Yes. You know, he, he's more of the household name. Uh, and, and by the way, the music school at Cal Arts is named the Herb Albert, uh, the Herb Albert Conservatory School of Music. School, School of Music, nice. Yeah, very nice. And uh, and so he he was a big donor. Uh, Herb was uh, to Cal Arts is, uh, he's still around. But Jerry Morris was the partner who co-founded A and M Records, and and what a run that record label had. Right. I mean, artists like Peter Frampton, Sting, Squeeze, Simple Mind, Super Tramp, Rick Wakeman, Joe Cocker, Brian Adams, Soundgarden, Sticks, and Janet Jackson. Wow. That is quite the list of Rock and Roll Hall of Famers there. So, yeah. Very yeah. cool indeed. Rest in peace. What a life. What a life. Uh, Clarence Avant, the godfather of black music, also passes away this week at the age of 92. He yeah, managed, this guy uh, was amazing. Right. He managed Sarah Vaughn. Discovered Bill Withers, one of my favorites, and advised countless of people in the music industry and beyond. He's been the silent architect of so many deals, it would make your head spin, and he passes away. And, um, wow. I mean, you talk about an amazing life and working with all of these great artists. I mean, he advised countless producers like Quincy Jones, David Geffen, Jay-Z, Jimmy Jam, and Terry Lewis, one of my favorites. Uh, Pharrell Williams, Whitney Houston, L.A. Reid, Babyface, Lionel Richie, Jimmy Ivine, Irving Azoff, uh, uh, Reginald Hudlin, uh, Snoop Dogg, uh, Puff, Puff Daddy, Sean Combs, Queen Latifah, Jamie Foxx, and so many more. I mean, another list of amazing artists that he kind of mentored throughout the way or produced. He's just an amazing, amazing guy. Yeah. I, I mean, this it, when you read his obituary, uh, I mean, he was... Uh, he was a, he was the behind the scenes guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and and really brought along so many people and everybody who was quoted speaking about him had nothing but great things to say. Uh, you know, he he was friends with presidents. Uh, he was uh, just the guy 
uh, who who really worked behind the scenes and did so many great things. It was said that he's a teacher, a master communicator, and the perfect marriage between street sense and common sense. And uh, that is awesome. And once again, uh, he's got a um, uh, just he's got a star. List. He's got a star, star on Hollywood, Hollywood Boulevard. Yep, he's got a star you know? on Walk of Fame. And, and you know what? Ninety-two. What a life! Absolutely incredible life. Incredible life, and you will be missed. And uh, and glad that you shared your your love and your passion and your your knowledge of music to the world. So that's awesome, uh, Dave. We've had an awesome first segment. Moving into segment two, everyone sit back and relax and enjoy. Uh, this interview with Dave Spafford. Now understand that uh, Dave is a talker and he also uses some colorful language, but we're going to leave it here unedited this week. So enjoy part one of Dave Spafford here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. All right, Al John. Once again, we've got another fantastic guest back on the Skull Rock podcast. We've got animator, animation supervisor, general all around badass animation dude, Dave Spafford. Dave, welcome to the Skull Rock podcast. All right, Dave. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> you know, Dave, I I always have uh, admired you because you've always done your own thing. And you're such a, an incredible talent um, that I've, you know, even though we've worked on projects together early on, um, I, I've always sort of been keeping tabs on what you were up to over the years in the industry, because you're always sort of surprising people uh, with, with some of the things that you worked on. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is how did you get started in animation? Where did it start? Well, I grew up about a mile from Disneyland and every night the fireworks went off and you looked up in the sky and went, Oh yeah. Walt Disney, the coolest guy in the world. It's like, Oh man, how do I get closer to that? And, you know, and also what was behind uh, in front of all the fireworks was the Mickey Mouse Club, which was mind blowing to me. And it, I understood even as as a six year old or a five year old uh, or, or even four that there was something different about Walt Disney and how, how his entertainment was put out to everybody. You know, for instance, Everything about me growing up came on how to think about other people all came from Jimmy Dodd. You know, Jimmy Dodd got came on at the end of the show and he goes, hey, Musketeers, you know, get everybody come a little closer to the TV. He goes, I want to I want I want you to try something. And he goes tonight after you have dinner without anybody telling you to go in and wash the dishes and see what happens. You know, you don't have to expect anything, but just see what happens. And I did it. And my mom and I became closer than we ever were. It was, it was, I mean, it was like, Hey, do you want to stay up tonight and watch the, watch the, the Johnny Carson show? That was like, Oh man, I could stay up. And it was because I washed the dishes and I went, man. And what was your mother's reaction when you just walked over and started like, doing the dishes? Are we allowed to cuss? 
Oh, yeah, go for it. We'll bleep you if it's too my, hardcore. <laughs> now, my mom went, who the hell is this? <laughs> what? Who are you? And uh, what happened to my son? You know, is it? I mean, she was definitely happy. And I but I just saw it. And to get back to the real thing, I felt like that really felt good. I want to do more of that. And, and, so, and, and did so you? So taught you things like that about being nice to the, you know, hey, you know, go help that kid if someone's trying to beat him up and he's too little right. to defend himself. It became that that was my thing. You know, it was everything. I had learned everything from the Mickey Mouse Club. And it was it, and that was that was on the side of seeing all the artists and the animation and Disneyland and, you know, all those the, the Mickey Mouse Club and the Wonderful World of Color uh, were had everything. It, they shaped me 100 percent. So and, when the fireworks went off, all of everything that I was getting from those shows was, oh, yeah. And the guy that they put those shows on is building this down the street. And I got I have to be part of it. I, and then and then I saw on the on the mouse Club, Mickey Mouse Club, uh, Walt gave uh, the Mouseketeers uh, a tour through the studio. You know, they were they were like, how are you, how are, how are cartoons made? It was something like that. You know, I I, I think it was the Mickey Mouse Club or it was the uh, a special on the the Wonderful World of Color, and he they were looking at drawings animation and they flipped some drawings of, of like alice from wonderland which we had just seen at the drive-in theater and all of a sudden it made sense to me i understood what it was and it was and this was back when they never really showed you behind the scenes of how things were done it was right. just you know, those are two different worlds and there and there was hardly any books no books. you know it was the 1958 book, The Art of Animation. Right. The Art of Disney Animation. And there was also the, the Walter Foster book. Right. The Walter Foster books were were probably did the most for all of us because yeah. they cost a dollar. And we all had them. Yeah. We, we all had like eight of them. You know, I had everybody in the world giving them to me for Christmas or my birthday. And and I have I still have every one of them and they are the best. I mean, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, oh, the animator. Um, he did the uh, Mickey and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, he did the best uh, uh, animation Walter Foster book, Preston Blair. Preston Blair, yes. Preston Blair was used to would come around to the colleges and sell those out of the back uh, back out of his station wagon. <laughs> you know, and I mean, and that that was another thing that uh, that really helped me uh, get into animation was. A teacher of mine had said, hey, I'm taking this uh, this night class at the college and there's this artist there. He's teaching freehand sketching. His, his name's Bruce McIntyre. Uh, I, I think he was a Disney animator. Boom. Done. On my bike that night to the college to meet this guy 
And it had everything to do with me getting in the studio and meeting this guy. He taught me how to draw on, on, on newsprint with a fine tip black marker. Mm -hmm. He would say, bring me a stack of drawings every week, but I don't want to see any drawings that have a bleed on it. Now, newsprint and a fine tip black marker, uh, a felt tip marker, you can't even draw fast. All you can do is attack the paper with the pencil at, at a speed to not make it leave a bleed. Which and is so, hard, which is hard to do on newsprint. Right. Yeah. And so I would, I would do these drawings, these, and you know, he was like going, it doesn't matter about all the muscles and everything. You, you're just drawing the, the, the soul of the drawing, what's underneath everything. And then animation, that's basically where you start. And cause he, you know, Bruce McIntyre was John Lounsbury's assistant. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, I, that, that's, I, yeah, those are the drawings that I brought to the studio and showed them to Eric Larson and, and, you know, and he's like going, ah, son of a bitch, where, where'd you learn to draw like this? And it wasn't like, like son of a bitch, these drawings are great. Far from it. It was, it was the idea that a kid was coming in with these fast stroke, crazy drawings. What we would call gesture drawings. Yeah. Very, yeah. very quick. Quick exactly. gesture like, sketches. We, like we're doing, we're doing a uh, uh, 20 second model poses. Yeah. You know, and, and it, 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 so this guy, he taught me everything. He, and so he would go, all right, every time you come here once a week, you bring me a, an, an inch high stack of drawings. And he even took me down to the, the local, uh, the register newspaper in Orange County. Yeah. And, Introduced me to this guy in the very end of the of the building where the where they printed off the the newspaper, and he goes knock on this door, ask Carl. Carl give you a big roll of paper like this thick, because they when they they can't let the machines run off. They have to take they have to slow it down, and then they take that off and then they recycle that paper. He goes he goes just ask him for one. He'll give you one. Yeah. And it would be all the paper you need for the rest of your life, <laughs> you know? And so, and then he goes, cut them up to a certain size to fit on a clipboard. And he goes, bring me an inch high stack every week. And then wow. he'd look at him and he'd go, no, mm, mm, mm. and he'd be like going through all of them. And I'm just going, ah, they all suck. And you go, all right, this one right here, keep that one. Okay. Put that one aside. That one's going to be part of your portfolio, and and there might be two of them. Adam, and but Adam, but yeah. but that was your first experience with that. I mean, nowadays, you know, you you sit and do you know fifty or hundred sketches, and you might pull out one or two or three good ones that you feel like, oh, I think I'm capturing it here. Yeah. You know, when when you're working up an idea, right? Right. You know, and a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think that you just sit down and you draw this perfect drawing right away. Uh, and, and how many people have, have you seen come into the industry where they were drawing really tightly instead of very loose to start with? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, these were the, these were the stack of drawings that I took and, 
And Eric Larson just kind of looking at him. And I remember him saying, son of a bitch. And I'm like going, oh, is, that, is that good or bad? Because I had never heard anybody say that before. Yeah. Except for in the movies. And then the, and then a guy went and shot the other guy, you know? Eric Larson was like this guy. And, and so I wasn't, I didn't know what was happening. And, and so he goes, well, you know, what you're doing here is this is where we want you to start. This is where we want everybody to start. We'll teach you how to draw because you, you, you can't learn how to draw the Disney stuff outside of here. All you're going to do is learn bad habits. Yeah. And which is what Ollie used to say to me every time I would or John Lounsbury, when I'd call them up and talk to them on the phone. You know, or go to, to the studio to get see if I could get a tour. Yeah, I'd call yeah. them up from the, the phone booth outside personnel <laughs> right next to the entrance. And and so the idea that that he that they were like going, Oh, you're 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 in a good spot to learn. Yeah. And I thought, wow, God, this is working, you know. That must and, I mean it must have been really encouraging. Oh man, it was it was crazy. And they what? said, and they, by the way, what, what, what year is this? What, what's the time frame? Because were you in high school? Yes. Okay. Um, I was, it wasn't the first time I went to the studio. I went to the studio a couple times, one to see Lounsbury, one to one time to see Ollie Johnston, you know, I would call him up and they'd say, well, next time you're up here, you know, uh, uh, give us a call. And I said, well, I'm at, and at the front gate. And they're oh, um, <laughs> And so they, they would have their assistant walk out like Dave Suiting used to come out and, <laughs> and take bring me into the studio. I'd meet Ollie and he'd, you know, tell me what I needed to know to, you know, and he would just go, don't draw Disney characters. Don't do this. Don't do that. Just draw, 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 draw and just keep drawing. You know, yeah. we'll teach you animation. You know, you go try to learn animation from anybody else and you're going to learn a bunch of bad habits. And at the time, they this was really heavy on their mind because this is right when Cal Arts was first starting. I mean, the idea of the of the there maybe being an animation class. Yeah. And which is run that and, and it had just started. I knew nothing about Cal Arts or anything, but they they did. And they weren't too sure about someone else teaching Disney animation to people who are going to try to work there. It's like, they're like going, ah, you know, and they knew that, uh, you know, there was, they would have to be like someone who was willing to work there. So it's gotta be someone who's out of work. So how good can they be? You know, right. They had all kinds of reservations about the, what, what the, what that school was supposed to be or how could it be? You know, who's going to teach these people? Is it a good idea? Like Milt, like Milt hated the idea. You know, later on, I learned, you know, he the idea of CalArts was like he was just going, ah, you know. Yeah. Out there and learn how to draw yourself. I think Milt hated a lot of stuff. Oh, Milt <laughs> hated everything. And, and I and I'm right there with him. <laughs> you know, Milt made me feel good because he was as angry as I was about, <laughs> you know, how to do certain things, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
so so let me ask you this you you you're you're doing this in high school you graduate high school do you go to art school or do you just go right into the business well when i was 16 15 or 16 i started i i worked in the parades at disneyland i got in fantasy on parade as a column you know wow that the uh that the the ostriches and the alligators danced around as you walk in, you know, and I hear I'm inside carrying this column, you know, and, and so I, I, the idea that I was around Disney things was good because I was look I was looking at in the bookstore, there was like all kinds of artwork everywhere in the park, you know, it was always, and it was a lot of, you know, Mark Davis doing things and, you know, it was a great it was a great place to be, but I knew nothing about art school. In fact, Eric Larson asked me, what art school did you go to? And I went. I I, I just told him the name of my high school and he goes, La Quinta. Oh, I've never heard of that. And then he got and he realized what I was doing and he goes, is that your high school? And I went, yeah, <laughs> I, had, I, I had art. I had art art class. I, I, I didn't I did not know that it that art school existed, that you could pay to go, be taught art. I it, that was in school. Yeah. And and also I knew that it, it would it existed in college. But, you know, this, I, I didn't even I was so focused on I closed every the whole world out. All I I, I was perfect tunnel vision. Yeah. All I saw was just getting in there. I didn't want to think about going to a college or a school or anything. I just was like going, I want to get in there. Now those guys are old. They're not going to be around long. I'll be a janitor and be around those guys. That And that, that, that was, that was my plan. Cause if it did, didn't happen fast enough. Did, did you, uh, did you have art classes in high school? Did you have a, a reasonably yeah, good but, art, art classes or not? Yeah, but I, that all went sour really fast. There, there was a, a channel 50 was having a contest of about to, you know, animate the logo of our channel. Right. And so I, I animated this airplane flying around, pulling a banner that said, you know, KCOE Channel 50. And and I won. And. But I had pissed off the art teacher who was in charge of putting a, having us do this animated thing. Uh... All of, we each did our thing, but he was the teacher and and, and I wasn't going to let him tell me anything about animation because as far as i knew i you know i was talking to ollie johnston and all these guys and you you were talking to the masters and you just felt yeah, this guy didn't have a clue not a clue and so <laughs> i was going to take what little i knew and show him and, and i did and it and it kind of it kind of rubbed him the wrong way and so i kind of ended up being in they i got put into the theater department as punishment. He was kicking me out of the, he goes, Oh, I'm going to, you know, you just go over there. You're, I'm going to, you're going to paint the sets. Wow. That's painted. Wow. You know, that, that's harsh. Yeah. And so 
I got kicked out of the art class. And and in reality, he should have done the opposite. He should have embraced you and and really, you know, helped develop your talents. No, it was I went against the authority and uh, did it my way, succeeded, but then created a riff that yeah. that it ended later in years. I ended up inviting that teacher in order to get that out of my life, that feeling, you know, that yeah. like it bugged me. Yeah. So yeah. I invited him. Uh, I, I, I invited that teacher to the opening uh, the, at MGM studios for the secret. When we released the secret and then we had a party in there. And wow. We had, we had a big screening and, and, uh, and I invited him and my theater teacher. And did they come? Yeah. That's awesome. And we became great friends. Great friends. Did you ever talk about that? What, what had happened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, and I was a little prick. You know, I you couldn't <laughs> you you, you place yourself in between me and Walt Disney. My goal. Yeah, I, I, I would eat you alive. Eat the skinny little, <laughs> you know, 90 pound kid. I would just look out. I would you wouldn't want to mess with me. And and it, it just worked out. You know, the, the teacher that the theater teacher was the teacher who ended up telling me about Bruce McIntyre. So mm. the whole thing just, you know, and the, the teacher, the theater teacher, he goes, well, he goes, uh, all right, well, here, I want you to paint this set. It was just plain walls. The, 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 the you know, the scrim or whatever yeah. the, 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 the set pieces. He goes, J just paint it. We're, I'm taking everybody who we just finished a, a, a play last night and I'm taking the whole everybody who was on in that out to lunch. So we're probably going to be gone for two hours. Just paint this set. Um, it's a it's a really dirty family and um, the house is a mess. And so I painted these walls and, and I, I put my handprints on it. You know, I, I took a, I took a plate, a plastic plate and I put school string. I, I mixed some paint, made it look like spaghetti and made, made some uh, tissue paper meatballs and I s just smashed it on the wall and then nailed it <laughs> thinking I was going, fuck you guys, you know, bunch <laughs> of weirdos, you know, cause I, <laughs> you know, and they came back and he just came running up and he's grabbing me. He's going, oh, my God, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. Hey, from now on, you're the set guy. You <laughs> build the sets. You're the set guy. And I and it was a, a it changed everything for me. You know, it was it was actually the first time someone actually went. Oh, no, you're the guy where I'm going to put this in your hands. It, ma uh, it made you feel good. It made me feel really good. And and I'm still excellent friends with that teacher today that's awesome i, I talk to him all the time that, that's awesome yeah. so so you graduate high school and what happens with disney how do you get into disney well i'm i'm i i went to i'm working at disneyland uh i ended up after the parades getting a permanent job at disneyland as a character in the park what character um i I favored King Louie because uh, in America on Parade, 
I was given Br'er Fox, which was a really comfortable costume. Mm-hmm. And it was again, they were showing us all the costumes for the first time. And and here they bring in and there was King Louis. And I was like, oh, wow, look at that. It's like a whole suit, the, the shell, fiberglass shell with hair on it. And it fit over the top of you. And you had these big, long arms and monkey feet and hands. It was it was a beautiful costume. And I just went, wow. And I watched every, we were all putting on our costumes to see if they would fit. And the guy in the King Louis costume all of a sudden fell over and started freaking out, screaming, and then threw up in the costume. Oh. And they had they, they had to they had to force him out of it. It took all these people to get him out of this costume. He was having a freak out in this thing. Like a total panic attack. Total panic. And it was a very claustrophobic. You had these two holes that yeah. you know, the shell that fit down over your holes. And it was like a, the mouth came out here. And so you could breathe through there. But it was a, a fiberglass shell all the way to your waist. Must have been heavy. It was heavy. And and they were like going, oh, wow, that guy just lost his job. And I was standing right next to the guy who was in charge of the whole thing. And he was talking to someone else and he's going, all right, well, we'll get someone else to do it and, you know, tell just, just tell them, hey, you know, sorry, it just didn't work out and they were going to let him go. And I went, give him my costume. I'll do that costume. You know, you, you do have another, right? Because he just threw up and he go, no, they have to they have to just they destroy that costume when if something like that happens. So they 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 take yeah. the whole they the whole thing gets burned. Wow. And and he goes, you really want to do it? And I went, hell, yeah, I'll do that costume. And so me and the guy who was the the guy who was, uh, played Baloo ended up working out how to act like the cartoon. And we really put on a show way beyond just being on a on a, a float waving to people. We would end up hopping off the float and running around the float, act doing all this crazy stuff. And they loved it. They just went, man, you guys, are, you guys are, you guys are really good. You were performers. Yeah. And so this guy, Tom Tancredi, who was in charge of the whole thing, he comes to me and, and uh, John, and he goes, uh, the guy who played Baloo, and he goes, hey, would you guys like to be characters in the park? And we went, that that's like winning the Academy Award. I mean, that, that, be, that was more like a full-time job you know, kind of thing. It was, I mean, closer to it. And Disney worked in this, you worked your way up into being full time. But because I was doing King Louie and was willing to do that costume, everybody hated it. They never put it out in the park. It was, just, it was, it wasn't used as much. Yeah. Because it was too hot, heavy. People didn't, you know, didn't like it. And I just said, I'll do that every day. And so I worked a lot. And then then I did one of the three pigs and loved that. That was even more fun because it was they were funny. Yeah. And um, ended up doing that. And I was sitting in a pig costume when um, in half a pig costume when the phone booth ran next next to me. And it was Don Duckwall uh, calling me to say that um, that they were going to bring me in. So they had a slot for you in the training program. No. No, uh, they were starting rescuers and 
I remember Randy Cartwright, who was also in the character department at Disneyland, he had just gone over. And so he was working. They were starting. They were doing working on the rescuers. Yeah. And everybody sort of, you know, they had what they needed. Um, I told them because McIntyre told me, just tell them you want to be an in-betweener. You want to start as an in-betweener. And. And I said, yeah, I want to start as an in-betweener. And they're going, oh, you, okay. And they said, well, there, we don't have a spot for you now. We've hired you. And you had mentioned earlier about getting into, uh, McIntyre told you to go to get into the mailroom. Yeah. So at least you're around it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and also, too, they wanted me to go to Art Center, and they were going – and they said, have you, have you ever heard of Art Center? I said, no. And they're going, well, it's kind of expensive. Uh, they go, do you have a job? And I went, well, I'm, I'm, I work at Disneyland. And they're going, oh, yeah, you're not going to be able to afford that. It's, And I said, I said, well, uh, how about if I go into traffic, the mailroom, then I would be able to. And they went, oh, you know about traffic, huh? And I said, yeah, yeah, Bruce McIntyre told me. And, and um, they went, all right, well, look, we're, look, we're going we're gonna to look into that and, and uh, see if we can get you in there. And so Don Duckwell called me. It was in December of 75. Uh, Randy Cartwright had, was already up at the studio. And it was like, oh, man, this is, this, this is possible. Yeah. You know? And I know someone who just got hired there, you yeah. know. And... And so he said, um, all right, well, we're going to figure it out and we'll, I'll, I'll be calling you back. Uh, but, but that's the plan. We're going to put you in traffic. And, and so I was waiting and then, then Don Duckwell's secretary, or it was, or it might've been Joanne, uh, Ed Hansen's uh, secretary. Yeah. That's probably about right. Yeah. Who called me up and said, Hey, we're, we're we're everything's on hold. Uh, John Lounsbury died. Yeah, he was one of the he was the first nine old uh, one of the nine old men to Very pass away, and and he, and he did so suddenly. Yeah, he was the youngest too. Yeah, and but he was, the, I think he was the only one. Well, Les Clark smoked. Um, but Lounsbury, I think I think all of them smoked at one time or another. It seemed like I don't think I don't know if Milt ever did. You know, some of these guys had pipes. I think, they, did. Yeah, I, I think one of those guys had a pipe. They smoked a pipe once in a while. But, you know, it. but yeah. it was the it was that that was the period, the time period. You know, there yeah. was an awful lot of people who smoked. If you if you didn't smoke, you were getting a lot of secondhand smoke. <laughs> I could see milk going eh, this fucking thing gets in the way, <laughs> you know, of yeah. his productivity. You know, it's like uh yeah, uh, but so Lounsbury died, and then I I came, I came I came into traffic, probably like so like nineteen seventy six seventy seven seventy six. I came in the like middle of summer or something like that. It was after Lounsbury died, and it was like I felt like man, this is taking forever. It's like have they forgotten about me? And so I would call back and they would get back on it. And then finally they, they called me and said, all right, well, we're going to put you in traffic. 
And they did. And that was the best thing ever because I got to know every single person that worked. And you knew office. and you knew where they were. You knew where their office was. I knew where I knew I knew more about that studio than anybody working on it. They would call traffic to go, hey, uh, ask Dave, where are the carousel horses from Mary Poppins? And I go, <laughs> oh, they're under a bunch of wood in the corner of the of uh, the, the Zorro set. <laughs> and that's the way it was. That's you know? amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely. I mean, of course, that was back when nobody collected anything. Right. Uh, there was no it, it, props. Everything just got tossed or set aside. If they were really cool, they man, eh, they eh, put them under the uh, you put them put them under the wood over there by the Zorro saying, "Well, if we need them, we'll you know they're there." Yeah, uh, that's the way it was. They they had a warehouse on the corner that had stuff. I mean, I have one of the only Mary Poppins chimney sweep brooms. Wow. That's a great prop. They had, they took all of them out of the warehouse. They threw them in a pile. And I was like going, wow, what, what, what are you guys doing? They're going out of there clearing out the warehouse. I'm going, man, these are, you're going, yeah, those are Mary Poppins. And I'm just going, man, I said, I said, Hey, can I put one in my room in the animation department? And um, the guy goes, yeah, knock yourself out. So I, I took one and I remember I unscrewed it and walked it back to my room and put it back together. And I hung it, hung it in my room for ever. And, and they, and I, they threw away every single one of them. Wow. Yeah. So there's a, there, there's a cells in, in these drums of water. Yes, I remember when and they would also toss out the cells uh, on rainy days, uh, the you know, the the few rainy days you'd have in January, right. February. They throw the, the cells into the dumpster on a rainy day and and, yeah. and half the animation department was doing dumpster diving. That's right. Yeah, I remember. Um, and they, no one cared. I mean, <laughs> I remember because at that time it didn't really have perceived value like it does oh, today. You know, no, there was there was nowhere you could sell it. Yeah. What, what, what are you going to do? Go put an ad in the recycler. That's all that there was. <laughs> exactly. There was no yeah. format to selling anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You went to the swap meet. We had swap meets. It's, uh, I've got this idea. I'm going to sell these things. Oh, where do you do it? Uh, the only place is the swap meet. Right. Right. That was it. <laughs> a whole different world. Which was great, you know. How long did you stay in traffic before they pulled you into animation? Um, I came in on the. Let me see. They, I forget how they. They were only on the rescuers for like a year and a year and a half. Uh, I came in on the last six months of the rescuers, and I had been working on banjo. Uh, Don Bluth's film that he was making in his garage. Right. And, 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 and by the way, I, don't gloss over that. I want to hear how, you know, you're in traffic. They pull you into rescuers yeah. to do as an in-betweener. But uh, how how did you get hooked up with Don? Rand, Bluth Randy and, Cartwright. Uh, Randy Cartwright, who was one of, you know, was always was very cool to me. Um he he was like going well you know you if you want to get in here sooner 
uh, I'd w- go work on uh, get on Don's uh, film. The short film that he was doing, yeah. uh, Banjo the Woodpile Cat. He was doing it in his yeah. garage in Burbank, right? No, in uh, Culver City. Culver City, okay. And um, so I went up to the, they, him. They were all eating lunch at, at a table outside on the the uh, on the uh, the little picnic area at the uh, outside the commissary. And I walked up to Don. And I said, "Hey, I heard you're working on a film." I'd I'd like to learn how to become an in-betweener. And he goes, he goes, is that all you want to do is just be an in-betweener? And I went, I said, no, I want to be an animator, but I'll, but Bruce McIntyre told me to be a, to start at an in-betweener. Yeah. Start at the bottom and work your way up. Yeah. And I knew what in-betweens were, but the idea of it being called an in-betweener, I didn't know what all of that meant. It was right. Right. I mean, I took to heart when Ollie Johnston told me when I was like 12 or 13, don't try to figure out animation. Don't do animation drawings. Don't do any of this stuff. We will teach you. You just learn to draw. Yeah. We want, we just want people who draw. We don't want people who came from animation. You know, you're just going to have a bunch of bad habits. Don't do it. And I, I, and that was like a relief to me because, you know, when we were, when you're in high school and you're you're looking at a drawing at Mill Call like right there and you're going, oh my God, do I suck? Oh, I'm never. These guys are superhuman beings. Yeah, because they've been doing it for seventy years. Yeah. You know, they are amazing. You, you, what do you know? You've had no training whatsoever. All you know is that you like it, and and so that 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 really that that the idea of working on that film. And learning to be an in-betweener and and then a breakdown person and then an assistant. And I, I whipped through it. I, I The amount of time I put in was absolutely insane. I mean, yeah. they, they they always had to like to say, hey, man, slow down. You know, you know, I, I was like I was so into it. And and I became John Pomeroy's assistant on on Banjo. And I painted cells. I did voices. I shot on the camera. Um, I, 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 we, I learned everything before I even started in on rescuers. Yeah. So when it got down to it and they were like going, all right, uh, we're going to bring you in. Uh, you're going to work with John and, uh, or eventually, but John had gone on vacation. And so they put me with Bob McRae. <laughs> you know, I I had Bob McRae as a, as an animation teacher yeah. at Cal Arts, and yeah. that's why I started laughing, and you're laughing yeah. because we have we're full of Bob McRae stories. Oh, I mean, his pants ha- hanging halfway off his butt. He was the original gangster when it came to wearing pants like that. There you go. <laughs> and uh, and he comes in he, to my room, and he goes. He goes, all right, here, it's Mickey Mouse. He's uh, he, he's doing a thing with a paintbrush. You know, have, just have him go like this and paint drips down. And when the paint drips down, that's going to change to the next live action scene. Yeah, it's a, so it's the magic paintbrush. Right, which I had yeah. no idea what the hell he was talking about. Right, right. And one, it's like, wait a minute, what does this have to do with in-betweens? <laughs> you know, I'm not an animator. 
And he's going, ah, you can animate this. And I'm going, what? And, and so I did this thing with this, with the paint and Mickey doing a thing with the brush stroke and the paint coming down. And it was awful. I mean, he just went, yeah, okay, that's great. I'm just going. He's puffing on his pipe, and he would say to us, uh, you know, at Cal Arts, he'd puff on his pipe when you showed him something. He goes, well, it works. It works. You know, he was just sort of like, it works. Yeah. Is it good or is it bad? You know, no, he he was, he, because I remember Ed Hansen introduced me to him. He goes, this is Bob McCray. And I went, wow, this is an animator. This is what an animator looks like. <laughs> and then it took me about five minutes to go, no, this ain't one of those guys. <laughs> and and I just remember thinking, oh, God, I'm, oh, this is a weird start. And then. Uh, no, but I mean, we, we should say we should, we should let our listeners know. Bob McRae really was a great assistant who also right. did animation and they had him do a lot of the TV animation. Right. Exactly. And, and he was at the end of his career, he was burned out. I mean, he was really very caustic, you yeah. know, he looked frightening, just that face, you know, Right, you know him wanting to retire, and you're you're just you're just a, a pain in the ass idiot who doesn't know anything. It it was it was a it was a very odd, strange th- position for me because here I was willing to do anything for anybody. I'm at the Disney studio, oh, and it was it was kind of like somebody throwing a little water on your fire. A little bit, yeah, yeah. And, but then they, uh because I would was working with John Pomeroy so much. Um, John was probably the closest person to drawing like Milt out of anybody at that studio, including Frank and Ollie that they just did not have the knack of drawing like Milt. Mm -hmm. John was very interested in that and was very good at it. And Milt loved John hated Everybody else in the animation department, but loved John Pomeroy. Why? Why do you think that was uh, that was the case? Because he had respect for this young man who could draw like a mother. Yeah, I mean, John could flat out draw like nobody's business, and you know, and John would hold the pencil back at the end of the pencil, like almost like a paintbrush, and just kind of go and draw this little light line, you know. Yeah. And it was just this beautiful thing. And and he drew it out. And it was like, God, it's like all there. John was, John was, John would have been one of the greatest if he, I think if he would, if he would have stayed. If he would have stayed with. Yeah, but you know something, I, I mean, I, I would tell you that he is one of the great ones. Uh, of the contemporary animators and and he did come back to Disney. Yeah. You know, but he, he did was, leave for a while and then he did come back, you know, but, but John had had to carry every person that was new, had to help them show them, teach them, you know, and, and he uh, seemed to, he, he, he had a knack for that, though. He really yeah, did. But, don't you think? But, but working on The Secret of Nim, he had to basically help everybody's animation. 
because we all sucked at the beginning, you know? Yeah. We were all fairly new. And, and so to me, John was always spread too thin to the point where it's like, in the end, I, I felt like he was became like a master at shortcuts okay. in order to, 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 get to, get, so much, to get so much work done. Yeah, because he was turning out a lot of footage while he was really training a lot of people. Well, he trained every single one of us. Yeah. And uh, on The Secret of Nim, I mean, every 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 damn scene is John. I mean, I mean, he's giving it to us to do, but he you would you would take your work to him and he would give you that one drawing that saved your ass yeah yeah drawings you know or you just lay a drawing down and just go and kind of guide you through stronger positions and and everything uh john was great john was great but i think animation John, john is great yeah he is great. He is I, we, great. We, we've had John on the show and, Good. you know, now he has the John Pomeroy Academy in Tennessee. So he's teaching. He's imparting all right. of those decades of experience that he has right. onto sort of this next generation. Yeah, I, I owe everything to John, you know, um, when when oh, back to back to uh, uh, when I was working with Bob McCrae, John was on vacation and they were basically getting really trying to get a chunk of banjo done. I was working at night and on the weekends uh, on it, but when they went and he took a vacation and I ended up working with Stan green, who was finishing up and they just had a party for, for Milt. um, Retirement. Yeah. When he retired and, uh, but he was still coming in and, and so I was working with Stan Green, and we did. I God, I, we did a bunch of Medusa stuff. Uh, Stan ended up. Um, Milt had Milt had roughed out a bunch of stuff for 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 him for Stan to do, and for and Cliff Norbert. Cliff Norbert ended yep. up doing some of the her whipping the alligators as as she's on that swamp boat thing. And, um, and I work, I worked on all that stuff. And uh, so I was working with Cliff and, and Stan green, you know, because I worked with John and John, John drew like Milton. So they thought, Oh yeah. Okay. He can, he can, he can work for Stan. He understands, you know, that style and and I, I loved it. I mean, I I absolutely did, loved. It. I mean, it was, did it was did Milt did Milt like you? Um, Milt didn't. When when I first started, I when I first started in traffic, I I one time said, "Oh, let me I'll, that give me that 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 letters for Milt. I'll go." give it to him and they're going oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah give that to go give that to mill just yeah go give it to him right now and so everybody in traffic was like going oh shit <laughs> you know and so i walked i knocked on the door no answer because he's in the zone and i pushed the door open and i went oh i got a letter for you and all i saw was this 
God, you're goddamn. And when he turned around, all that was there was a floating letter, you know, and I was on the back berm, <laughs> you know, smoking a pipe for 12 hours. You know, it was like, man, it, he he scared the crap out of me. Wow. And and I mean, you know, when I'd get there in the morning too, I'd have coffee with um um oh what was his um he was president of the union for a while, uh, Bud Hester. Okay, Bud Hester, yeah. I would have coffee with Bud Hester. Those and, guys would get there early. But but Bud Hester was a background painter, wasn't he? Or no. He he was uh he was an assistant. Okay, he was an assistant. I'm trying yeah. who was I thinking of? I was thinking of uh someone else who was a background painter. Uh, uh well the background painters that were there were Bill Lane, Al Dempster, uh Ralph Hewlett. Yes. Hewlett. Yeah, and, that's who I was thinking of was Ralph yeah. Hewlett because his son Steve Hewlett was the business that's manager right. for the union. So when that's you right. said union, yeah, that's so right. that's that, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 I so I had worked on some of that stuff and so Milt, I knew Milt, that was my first meeting of Milt. The second time was, is I I was sitting in my room and I was drawing these caricatures of Milt peeing on Frank and Ollie's animation. <laughs> you know, with a bubble above the head going, hey, hey, you guys, your animation's looking better every minute. <laughs> you know, there's this big old, you know, horrible. And I made him like a crazy hunchback because milt had a hunch but i was doing these super exaggerated hunches oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and my assistant said oh man can i can i make a copy of those drawings those are really cool and i went really and he goes yeah yeah i want to. so we had just gotten a xerox machine and he goes and in the in D-Wing, there was the, the Xerox machine. So he, he goes there and makes these Xeroxes. And then for Lee, he forgot the, the originals underneath the platen. <laughs> so he comes back and everything. And Dave Block went in there to Xerox something, saw the drawings, went in. And Milt had Milt was um, had gone back to his room, which was now the bullpen for the first group of CalArts guys. Right. And so Milt was in there talking with him. Dave Block goes in and he hands him these. He goes, oh, hey, I found these on the. And so and Milt's looking at these things. He goes, oh, who did this? <laughs> and, and and they were all glad because at the time, they, those guys didn't really care too much for me because I wasn't from CalArts. Right, right. You know, I was an outsider. And, uh, and Milt gets up. He goes, where, where is this guy? And they're all going, oh, yeah, yeah, this is all. This so is they, they 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 drew a map to your office, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I hear all of a sudden my assistant comes in. He goes, oh, man, I left those drawings on the thing. And uh, Milt has them now. And he's coming down here. And I went, I'm going, what? You what? <laughs> and Milt comes in. He puts his hands up on the door and he's like going, do you do these? And I'm going, uh, yeah. And he goes, oh, I haven't felt like this in a long time. You know? So he liked them. Yeah, he, he thought they were great. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm, there like, and I'm like going, 
holy shit, I was about ready to have a heart attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. Oh, man. You know, 19 years old or eight, and 19. And I'm like going, I'm, I'm going to have a heart attack right here. I mean, I really thought I was going to have one. And and that was cool, you know. And so that kind of. You, so it curried favor with him. You, yeah. you curried favor because he, he actually liked your sense of humor. Yeah. But uh, but, you know, but he at by that point, he was already he was already gone, but he was just coming back. He was always coming in, seeing what um, uh, Stan Green was doing. So. He wasn't he wasn't still working on the film. He was done. He was gone. He was done, but he was just kind of easing himself out by popping by. Yeah. yeah. But man, I thought I was fired. I thought I was fired. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's that was such a great story. You know, Dave, we're bumping up against time. Uh, What I want to do is I want to have you back next week. Uh, and, and we could pick up and start talking a little bit about Peach Dragon, the small one, and some of those films. I have a feeling we're going to turn this into like three parts, uh, your interview, because you got so many great stories. Is that good? Is that all right? All right. So thanks for being on the Skull Rock podcast this week, uh, Dave. And we're going to see you next week. You betcha. Your attention, please. (laughs) Now loading on track number one. For a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Let him go rock and roll. Dave Spafford. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, that's for that's part one. Yes. We, we, we've got more parts queued up uh, for the coming weeks. And I, I, I just can't wait to continue this conversation with him. Uh, he, he's an incredibly talented artist and uh, just a character. I love how passionate he is. And it does come over, uh, transcend the microphone. It's really, really cool to kind of witness and, and hear. And I know that our audience is going to love it. You know, I don't pretend to speak for the audience, but I just know what you guys like. So <laughs> there you have it. There you have it. Enjoy that. Uh, once again, if you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. And yes, uh, Stitcher Radio is ending its 15-year run as a podcast server platform. So be sure you check us out either on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, and everywhere you find podcasts. Also, like I send a, a shout-out to our friends at Source Radio Network, as well as the Disney Dorks and Laughing Place and everybody that supports our podcast. Thank you so much for liking and sharing our show. Also, be sure to like us on all of the social media platforms as well. We're going to be updating our Twitter slash X app soon, so uh, be on the lookout for that, as well as... Uh, facebook of course it's the most uh, updated instagram and dave and i are both once again uh, individually on linkedin so be sure you give us a, a follow as well if you'd like and check out our site for all the vault episodes at skullrockpodcast.com send us those emails as well dave and i love getting the emails dave or aljohn at skullrockpodcast.com dave you got a brand new website and you got all kinds of books coming out tell us what's up Hey, uh, I just want to remind everybody, uh, I have a new author website, uh, davidbosser.com. Check it out. Uh, It just launched like a week ago. So, you know, look at it. Give me some feedback. If you see something that's wrong, let me know. We're going to get it fixed. You know, whenever you launch one of these things, there's always something, right, Al John? That's right. There's always something. (laughs) (laughs) Like I had to do last week when I fixed the episode last week. 
there you go. <laughs> so, so, so check out check out davidbosser.com. Also, uh, I do want to let people know that um, my Nightmare Before Christmas book is coming out. Uh, yes. It's releasing September 26th. The uh, long awaited. I wrote it for the 25th anniversary, and here it is coming out for the 30th anniversary. Nice. I love that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it's up on uh, Amazon. It's up on Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Uh, you can go to your favorite local independent bookstore, and they'll order it for you. Uh, but you can get a pre-order going right now if you want to. Uh, if you're looking for a link, go to my uh, Facebook page. Uh, and there's uh, there's a, a few uh, there's a picture up uh, of the bookmarks, uh, but uh, you can also uh, click through uh, to uh, pre-order the book. Uh, and with that, Al John, it's starting to rain. We're starting to oh. get the Hillary the effects of Hurricane Hillary or a tropical storm as it as it uh, hopefully has been downgraded to. And um, I hope you all go out, enjoy the week. Be good to one another. Love to Hawaii, too, by the way. Love to Hawaii. Yes. Love out to our friends in Hawaii. Holy mackerel. It's just horrific. It's just, uh, I mean, the the words words can't even explain, Mm. uh, you know, uh, how I feel about that. It's just terrible. I saw some things. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Lahaina over the years. It's so sad. Anyway, go out. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you back here next Monday, right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. We'd love to thank Charles, Lindsay, Spencer, and Joshua. To support this podcast to sustain future episodes, visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com <laughs>